Hello, welcome to Typewriter Talks. This podcast features interviews with writers, poets, and other bookish folks. My name is Maureen McDowell, and I am the founder and executive director of Keep St. Pete Lit, which is a literary arts organization based in St. Petersburg, Florida. On Typewriter Talks, we discuss all kinds of writerly topics, hoping to show you that there is not one right way to be a writer. Today, we are happy to welcome Heather Lang Casera. Heather is a full-time lecturer with Nevada State University, a Tolson Books publisher, a Black Fox literary magazine poetry editor, and a Clark County, Nevada poet laureate emeritus. She was a 2022 Nevada Arts Council Literary Arts Fellow and is the author of Gathering Broken Light, which was written with the support of the Nevada's Art Council grant and won the New York City Big Book Award in Poetry for Social and Political. Her collections of echo poems, Firefall, is forthcoming with unsolicited press in 2025. Her poetry is widely published, including in Lumina, North America Review, Raleigh Review, and Southern Dakota Review, and etched into sidewalks as permanent installations by both the city of Las Vegas and Clark County, Nevada. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to, to like have this conversation with you. So let us know what you're working on right now. So right now, in terms of poetry, I am working on a collection of poems that take sort of an environmental uh, lens, sort of like eco poems and nature poems. Uh, I have a collection forthcoming with Unsolicited Press in 2025. It is called Firefall. Um, and I'm really excited because I did just receive a project grant from the Nevada Arts Council to work on this book. They helped support my last um, book as well, but it means a lot to kind of have that support from your community. So I'm excited about that. So it's my hope that Firefall might whisper to us the urgency of climate change. And part of the working description, I'll share just a little bit of it. In hushed tones, lyrical free verse and cyclical pantoums evoke the diminishing and intensifying seasons. We might look for comfort in the occasional rhyming couplets, in the evocative syntax, in the breathtaking imagery that portrays the beauty of this world. Yet these eco poems require us to parse out seeming dualities, fire and flood, repetition and redundancy, vulnerable witness and autonomous self. So yeah, I, um, I've, I've sort of been steeped in that. And you know, some of those topics are pretty heavy, uh, but I think it's important that we talk about them. And it's another reason that I'm so grateful for my literary communities and my local communities. Um, and just really, really grateful to be here chatting with you today. Yeah. And like, I mean, Hawaii just had like a devastating fire. It's like every time mm -hmm. you turn on the news and we're in Florida and you know, Florida is known for its heat, but like, I've never looked at the weather and seen like 95 and 96. It's maybe mm -hmm. once in a while we would have like 91, but it, this is the hottest summer that we've experienced. So, and I also noticed you use the term whispered and hushed tones. Why did you choose that language? Yeah. So part of the reason that I sort of have taken this direction is that 
I am someone who does not like being told what to do or what to believe. And I know this about myself, right? So like, if you tell me to do something, I want to understand why. And, you know, and, and I try to be a reasonable person, right? But like, if you just give me a list of instructions or things that I should believe, and you don't sort of explain to me why the logic behind it, give me some facts, I'm going to have a really hard time subscribing to it. And so one of the things that I think is really important when we have conversations about really important, um, controversial topics is that we try to be mindful of all of our audiences and everyone um, who is included in the conversation. And, you know, maybe take a step back and kind of look at things, try to approach things in different ways instead of just coming forward with a really strong message, you know? So it's this balance because for me, poetry is so much about discovery, both as a writer and then also as a reader. But I also believe that to a certain extent, it can it can have a, a message and maybe even should have a message at times, but it's not the same as a thesis statement, right? Or when you're like reading an academic um, article, it's, you know, kind of very straightforward, like it's a different approach. And so I think that it is important to kind of you know, step back, think about how we're approaching things, think about what we're talking about, um, look at some of sort of the surrounding elements of what is going on in our world and how they interconnect. Um, maybe, you know, pull up some juxtapositions, some metaphors, some similes, and allow folks to make their own their own discoveries about what's happening and and decide how they can partake in the conversation and what sort of activism they or may they may or may not be um willing or able to to do at the time. Yeah. And I also think it's um important to mention that activism can take an extroverted or very introverted role. And yes. I think what's so lovely about being a reader is that you are in a way being an internal activist by taking in this information and then applying it into your life in various ways. And so um, absolutely, activism is always so externally focused. And as an introvert, I've really explored um, what that means to not have to be like front of the house. Yes. Yelling really loud, big signs. There's lots of ways that you can be an activist, even like planting a tree in your yard or here having a Florida friendly yard that it doesn't take a lot of water. And there's just a lot of different ways. Why are you drawn to echo poetics? Do you have a science background or? <laughs> so I, I love this question. Um, I, I guess a couple of things. So one is that there was a period of time in my, you know, poetry career or journey where I felt that when I started to write a poem, I should not know where it's going, that it had to be 100% discovery. Uh, and for me, that was really beautiful in some ways, but I also sometimes felt a little bit lost or felt a little bit like I didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. And I didn't want to flip to the other side and be really heavy handed about things. So I started to really sort of use poetry as a way to brainstorm uh, how I was thinking and feeling about the world, especially the more difficult topics. So, for example, my um, last poetry collection, Gathering Broken Light, it is written in memory and in honor of the folks who were most affected by the one October um, shooting, which was just this horrific, horrific event that happened here in my Las Vegas community. And it sort of, you know, just explores topics surrounding that, um, the, the grief, including community grief surrounding that tragedy. And then also just sort of like 
what we can do moving forward. And so for me, this book was important. Um, I mean, for a number of reasons, but but including that it helps me sort of understand that poetry really can be an introvert's way of being an activist, because I'm very, very introverted in so many ways. But so after I wrote that book, I just sort of um, was was feeling called to exploring other causes that I deeply care about. So I uh, my only real science background is that for a while, after I earned my uh, majors, I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison and I got, I did three majors, one in English literature, one in East Asian studies, and then one in um, Chinese language and literature. But then when I wow. graduated, <laughs> bravo! <I> mean, <laughs> thank you. It was an incredible experience. I'm so deeply grateful, uh, grateful for it. And I lived in like Beijing and Tianjin for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm so glad I'm so glad I did those, you know, those humanity studies, but then I wasn't really sure what to do after that. And so for a while, um, I worked as a development and communications coordinator for a nature center because I've always just been really drawn to, you know, um, less urban parts of, of, the, of the world, you know, getting middle of nowhere and experiencing places with with few fewer people. Um, and then so I did that for a while. And uh, I also was a veterinary technician for a while. <laughs> so it kind of I went on this journey that was, you know, I did a lot of different things before I kind of came back. And now, you know, I'm a lecturer of college success and um, largely creative writing at Nevada State University. But I definitely did all of these different things along the way. Um, and I think that they really helped inform me sort of of like different parts of the world and some different perspectives um, and really taught me how to listen. I think that that was really important, whether that's listening to, you know, human beings or, you know, non-human um, people, so to speak, um, you know, such as just different mammals and <laughs> different, different yeah. creatures out in the world. And I will share too that like one of my um, dearest friends, one of my hiking buddies, he is a biologist. He teaches biology and entomology at Nevada State University. And so like, I love going hiking with him because he's so incredibly knowledgeable about the natural world. Um, so I'm not, I'm definitely not a scientist, but I, I, I do have interest in those different areas. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's the thing with the poetic mind. Like, I have a, I actually have a poem called "The Poet" all along of all the different jobs I've had that led. Mm, yep. You know, like <laughs> some people maybe they come out of the womb knowing they're going to be a poet, but I didn't realize I was a poet until like I was 28, and it's yeah. like I didn't really read a lot of poetry when I was younger. I was definitely like nonfiction, but it was like all of a sudden I was like you're a poet and it got like this download and it's 20 years yeah. later and look back, but it's like, I did all these jobs. Like maybe I'm a midwife, maybe I'm going to be a photographer. Maybe I'll study yeah. pottery, but yes. it, it, it all informs. So you don't necessarily have to have a science degree. I mean, if you love nature, mm -hmm. there's, there's boundless, boundless things to write about. We talk about that a lot with Florida. Like it's the state that keeps on giving mm. <laughs> never ever a dull moment in the state so you can you don't have to necessarily be a scientist to write about the bounty that is the state of florida so absolutely i, uh, I could 
definitely see that. Um, some yeah. of my dearest friends live in Florida, which is part of what drew me to your, your yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, so I know you've had a really rich conversation with uh, Letty Leticia Cruz, um, but also like my dear writer friend, Alia Luria lives in Florida. And then I help, I'm the poetry editor for uh, Black Fox Literary Magazine and Raquel Henry and her team are stationed in Florida. So it's interesting because I've never lived in Florida, but I have visited many times and it does in some ways like really truly have my heart, including because it sparks so many complex, um, you know, thoughts and conversations and, and yeah. <laughs> good way to say it. Complex thoughts and conversation. That is, a, that is definitely a, a good way to say it. I love it. Um, so tell us what um, a typical day looks like for you as a writer. Well, it, it, it varies quite a bit. And I think in some ways that is really fruitful for my writing because I find lots of different topics. And in some ways it also creates some challenges. So during the school year, I spend uh, much more time on campus where I teach. And so I teach a lot of night classes. I'm kind of a night person. Um, and so it really depends on the day because I don't, you know, teach at the same time every single day. And then this summer, for example, I uh, have not been teaching classes. I've been technically off contract, but I've still been working on materials, um, you know, in my writing. And then I've also been um, working a little bit at a, at a pottery studio. So when you mentioned oh, ceramics, funny. yeah, I got really excited. I was like, oh, awesome. Another person with, you know, I was a potter for most of my twenties. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Definitely. North, yeah, Asheville, North Carolina. Yep. Yep. I love Asheville so yeah. I was much. just there. I just got back like a couple weeks ago and try to go there as often as I can. Cause I spent my twenties there and in, in many ways it's where I grew up. Like where I, where I became my own person separate from the family dynamic. So yeah, yeah. A very okay. special place. Yeah. Is that double decker coffee house bus still there? Do you yep. know? <laughs> yep. Gosh, they also have that amazing arts and crafts um, conference there where like, there's a whole bunch of really amazing, you know, arts Southern and crafts. Islands, yeah. Crafts yeah. that just went through. It's funny because it's kind of off topic, but maybe not. Um, we went, my boyfriend is a, a painter and a, a a visual artist. And so we, I didn't even like suggest to go into the galleries because when I lived there in the nineties, I left in 2002, mm -hmm. it was all craft and he's mm. like more of like abstract and, um, realist painter. And I was like, no, you know, it's, it's just craft and pictures of the mountains. And then he's like, well, let's try out, you know, blue spiral gallery. And we went in and I was like, oh my God, like this is modern art now. Like, what is this? And I was, they told him that Asheville's the third largest art market in the country. Wow. New York and Miami. And some of the paintings were selling like $40,000 paintings and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is like this whole market that Phenomenal. I, I didn't even know <laughs> it was fascinating. So it's a great place for me. Uh, I need the water for creativity, but it's mm. a good place for me to go and reset and do some healing work. Like if I'm having kind of challenges or anything, it's a, just a good place to like, but I don't feel necessarily creative there. It's a place to rest. So interesting. Yeah. That, that actually makes I'm a lot not of a mountain sense to person. me. No, I'm not a mountain person. I need the water. That's why I love the Gulf coast of Florida. I need that to spark my creativity. 
That makes so much sense to me. Interesting though, but there's mountain people that live there and they need that for their creativity. So landscape and back, to, I guess this is the point back to echo poetics in some ways. <laughs> yep. you know, so like I was like, where am I going with this? But <laughs> yep. we're so informed by our environment that we live in and you're in the desert, mm-hmm. which, but in you're in Las Vegas, correct? So it's like this alternate universe in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. The juxtaposition is wild. Cause you can just like drive out of the city and it's completely different. Yeah. Um, super wild. And then when I first moved here, I did, I did actually panic quite a bit cause I was living in Seattle. Um, and the water felt very important to me, but yeah. I sort of grew to realize that like, well, the water was very healing exactly like you're saying. Yeah. Um, it didn't necessarily spark a lot of, of, of my work like I did have a lot of sort of like writer's block and maybe it was my age maybe it was like other circumstances I was going through but there's something about like how closely I need to look at different things here I mean there's water in the desert right but I can't just look at the ocean and so there's something about you know sort of that that journey or that search that is very very um informative to my creative processes so so yes like what you're saying is resonating I'm over here just like shaking my head <laughs> like yeah, up and, and down like, agreeing if you live somewhere that you're not creative maybe you're in the wrong climate or you know the wrong For real the yeah. wrong um what is it environment you need absolutely to move towards the beach or you need to move towards the mountains or mm-hmm. maybe Savannah or who knows what there's so many different places to live but Absolutely. Yeah. It's good to know that because, um, I mean, climate is, uh, our environment is huge right now. We're, we're in what I call our winter because it's so hot out to stay indoors and it gets quieter and yep. there's not as many events and it's, it starts to pick up mid October and then it's busy all the way through almost the end of April. And it's just like soak in the quiet. Yep. I often, I often say, and it sounds sounds like this is very similar, but here in Nevada, I wish that our summer in quotes break was in the winter because, you know, students have off right now and it's been well over a hundred degrees. It's been wow. like 115 degrees. Like oh, kids God. can't go out and play in yeah. that, you yeah. know? So I wish that we had the winter off so that, you know, especially like the K through 12 kids could, could go and, you know, play outside when, when it's a reasonable, um, you know, climate, but something I do remember, cause I, I lived in Wisconsin for a very long time. People might be able to tell that from my accent, <laughs> but you don't have to shovel the sunshine. So that's what I always remind oh, myself. Oh, I love that. <laughs> like, I love that. Even though this is winter, you know, like for, because we're stuck inside, like at least they don't have to go outside and shovel it. That, that's a poem right there. <laughs> I think you're right. That's, you that's like a book. That's like a book title right there. You don't have to shovel, shovel the sunshine. I should Ooh. get on that. <laughs> so tell us how your writing process has changed over the years. So I think the biggest changes in addition to understanding that I can pick a topic and explore it, it doesn't have to just be like discovery, just completely lost, you know, wiggling around. It's like I can choose a topic and, and explore it. I think the other thing is about being kinder to myself. So mm-hmm. I used to get really stressed out if I was like, oh my goodness, I haven't sat down or written a poem in a few days or a week, you know, or something. I would get really stressed out about that. And so then I would go and sit and look at a blank page, which was not helpful. You know, even if I made myself write, oftentimes it wasn't very good. And so I've kind of learned different things that can help me if I'm not feeling 
like a productive writer. And one of them is that I understand now how much life and conversations and reading and doing other um, artistic endeavors like pottery really mm -hmm. inform my poetry and make it, you know, honestly, I think a lot better. I know that's really objective, right? But, um, or subjective rather, but I think that uh, just understanding that the different parts of life are so important to being an artist, a literary artist. And for me, that's also partly because um, I'm not someone who necessarily enjoys writing about being the act, uh, about the act of writing, about being a writer. I know that some people really do, but for some reason, that's just like, it's a little too meta for me, I guess. Like, it's not as interesting to me. Um, it's not necessarily what I want to write about. So I have to go and do these different things so that I can learn, I can explore, and I have new topics to sort of journey around and, and discover. So I think that, but a huge part of it is just putting less pressure on myself yeah. and then sort of like learning what kind of brainstorming or deadlines or topics are actually helpful to me. And you're also a publisher and an editor. I am. Yeah. So, so does mm -hmm. that inform your writing? Cause you also teach like that's a, those are, you wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> I do. And sometimes I'm tired. I have a feeling that you understand that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it really does. And I would say that part of, so yes, so being like the work I do at Tolson Books, for example, as a publisher definitely informs my own writing. And part of it is simply that when I'm sitting down and I'm, whether it's developmental editing or proofreading someone's manuscript, I learn so much about craft. I have to like think about syntax. I have to think about all of like the nuts and bolts of writing as well as the content in a way that's so incredibly um, focused. Like I have to take really that, you know, microscope, take a close look, lean in, really do some, some serious thinking about all of those moving parts. And so, you know, it makes me attend to the art of writing and and the craft of writing and the architecture of writing in a way that I might not have to if I weren't involved in that part of the literary community. Um, but it's also just like really joyful and inspiring because it's it's a good introvert's way to be part of a community and to sort of have that social energy or like community energy without having to go to an open mic, for example, which is fun sometimes, but I have to be in a place where like, I'm, I'm socially prepared for that. Right. Cause it's a different yeah. kind of energy as an introvert. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I hosted our, our open mic for the last six years and, and then I took like a, a month or two off and then I went back and did it and I needed like two days to recover. And I was yes. like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I was already in the place where I was kind of passing the torch for someone else to host. Mm -hmm. And then after that last time, I was like, whoa, yeah. Because yeah. I feel every single person's poem that goes out right. there. Yeah. And I take it all in and I'm holding space for them. And a lot of people are nervous to be on stage. And I'm just sitting there like mm -hmm. two hours taking in every like 30 different people's energy. And then it's yes. like, I'm just not, it's too much for me. It's, it's too much. so much. It's, it's so, so much. Yeah. So I love that idea though, because I'm, you know, having created Keep St. Pietlet and all these other little things that I do, um, it, a lot of them are introverted. Like more and more, I'm like, how can I do all these things with my robe on? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I get it. That's been the 2020 journey since 2020. <laughs> that's been the journey. I'm I'm in my robe right now, to be honest. So it's like, okay, because this used to be a, a, a Zoom call that uh -huh. we would 
And it was a video mm-hmm. during, during COVID I did typewriter talks like that. And now I'm like, I'm just going to do a podcast. Cause then I don't Love have it. to have a video and so many, and I, I, I actually interviewed some people that were totally like prepared and had the video on and I'm like, turn it off. And <laughs> one guy, one guy, I'm going to totally call him out if he's listening. Um, he, he's an actor by trade. And then I, he, he became like such a nerd over the interview. And I was like, you're such a nerd. And I would, <laughs> I would, I wouldn't have gotten past how gorgeous you are. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe <love> <laughs> It's that makes my heart really happy. Right? I know like nerd came out because it's, it's like people don't talk on the phone anymore and podcasts are similar to that in some ways. Right. And I refuse to do the whole video to the podcast thing. Sorry, everybody, but no, I, I understand. I'm old fashioned. I'm analog. We're in your ear or we're in your car radio. That's- well, right. And then you can listen while you're doing kind of these other things that yeah. require you, like you have to drive, right? If you're, if you're commuting, so you have to drive, yeah. you can't yeah. watch something, but you can listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as far bit. as, um, far, and I, I keep coming back to the questions cause I could literally probably talk to you all night. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. So wh- how do you get an idea for a poem? Do you hear a line or do you have a topic? Yeah. So for me, I typically do have a topic, but that's not enough. So if someone gives me a writing prompt and they're like, you know, write about a garden or something like for me, that's not enough. I have to add additional parameters that are very specific to the craft of poetry. And I know that's kind of nerdy, but so for example, I have a list of things that I will go to if I have some writer's block. So I might go out to Lake Mead. I might go out the Slot Canyon there, um, which I love. And it's super inspiring, very peaceful, very healing, but it doesn't necessarily spark a poem. So what I have to do is I have to bring like a poetic element to to the conversation I'm having in my mind. So I'll be like, okay, Heather, let's start with a highly imagistic metaphor and let's begin there. And it'll be about, you know, the slot Canyon and that's what'll spark it. So then I'll have a line or two and I'll go from there. Or if that's not enough, something I've been doing a lot of lately is looking at poetic forms, whether it's the sonnet, the villanelle, um, you know, the guzzle, just a whole bunch of different poetic forms. And I will do everything I already said, but then I will put it into, I will keep writing according to a form. And sometimes I'm done and then I like the poetic form, but sometimes I just find that I will have, you know, 30% of the poem that I like. So in my next revision, I will take and I will remove everything that's like or any repetition that's not doing enough work or something like that. And it can just be really, really generative for me. Um, Super helpful. Um, And so that's that's a big thing for me. And Actually, uh, I'm really excited because Raquel, the editor-in-chief over at Black Fox Lit, just invited me to do a uh, workshop on poetic forms. And so we're kind of still in the in the planning um, session of that or the planning stages of that. But I'm excited because one of the things I heard a lot when I was studying poetry in like graduate school is like, be careful about formal forms. They can be kind of like stilted or old fashioned or lose people's attention, you know, in, in the context of like contemporary writing. Right. But uh, I think that we are now seeing all of the beautiful and brilliant ways that those more formal poetic forms can speak to sort of like important historical um, topics or ways that they can help us generate work or, you know, create self-discovery or community discovery. So I'm just, um, if you would have told, you know, I don't know, 20, 
14 Heather that she would be excited about writing sonnets I would have been like you were that's there that's not a thing like I do not believe uh-uh. that. <laughs> but yeah I'm like no I'm all about it like at, yeah. at the very least the first draft <laughs> I think it's lovely though to like not say like I won't ever do that and also right? some poems want to be informed some mm-hmm. poems call out for it like I, agreed I um I'm reading the Poets Toolkit by Ted Couser, and he talks yeah. about how poems tend to decide what kind of forms they want to be in. But also, you could—I like that you're using it as a writing practice. I know several poem poets that have done that. Like they're like, "All right, I'm going to do a villanelle, and I'm going to I'm going to use this as a way as a writing practice and see what comes of it." And yeah, so that's always an interesting way to try things, and and it's a way to get you unblocked if you are. And yes. I, I, I think we grow and we change a lot throughout life. We know this and try not to limit yourself. And if you're curious about something, try it out. And, and who cares if the, the audience might not like it. Um, Rick Rubin, who God only know what, what is he a gazillionaire? He says, you don't do, you don't do art for the audience. You do the art for yourself. And right. If the audience likes it, that's kind of none of your business, but <laughs> I love that. And, and the BDC boys came from him. So, you know, right? let's, <laughs> let's listen to Rick Rubin, everybody. So um, tell exactly. us what you would tell your younger writer self. I think, so I would definitely tell my younger writer self that there are, so A, not, not to give up, because there's definitely been times, like, especially earlier, I, you mentioned that you didn't like poetry when you were growing up, or you didn't see yourself as a poet, I should say. Yeah, I, I wasn't project. even exposed. I, no, it's fine. I wasn't <laughs> even exposed to poetry. Like, I didn't, other, other than, like, smashing pumpkins or listening to music poetry. Yeah. And it's funny, I wasn't a word person when it comes to music. I'm a, I'm a, I like the the music aspect. Not, I never, I, you know, I don't even know what a lot of the words of my favorite songs are. I just make them up. So, I love that so much. Go ahead. Go ahead. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I, it, I also played music um, growing up and then in my twenties, like I played the saxophone. And so I did a lot of like reggae and soul and ska. And of course, like in high school, I did, you know, jazz band and things like that. And I think that's part of where like my attention to sound comes from is mm-hmm. that even in a poem, sometimes I'm not as interested in the words as I am to the sounds, yeah. you know, which people are like poetry is words, but um. But so I think one of the things that I would say to like, okay, so when I was growing up, I thought I hated poetry, truly did not like it. And I think part of it was because one, I was reading poems written a long time ago, right? Like in, you know, K through 12 and even college for sure. Like, and so it didn't feel relevant to me, both the the topics, some of the topics, and then also the language, like it felt very inaccessible to me. And so I didn't love poetry until I inherited this box of poetry books from a relative who was just moving out of the country. And it was like, it was life-changing within like five to seven minutes. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a poet. This is what I want to do. (laughs) But uh, so I think, you know, I think that when I think about like younger poet Heather, it's, it's, it's still Heather in her twenties. Cause when I was younger, younger, I would just was, I would not, have, I would have been like, whatever, this is not my journey. <laughs> like, but I think the thing that I would say to myself is to like, listen to my mentors and to, you know, my community, but also like there's so many different ways of writing a poem. Um, and, you know, s- just stay open and know that you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be, you know, growing and that 
I think a big, something that was a little scary for me at first was just like finding a publisher, like finding the right publisher. Like I put so much pressure on myself to think about external audiences and who might want to hear my poems or more, you know, more specifically like read my poems or publish my poems. And once I really let that go, that's when I started to really like feel truly and authentically excited about writing. And so I think I would try to to tell younger Heather like, let all of that go and just do your thing because that's how you're going to do do your better work. Um, and I think the only other thing that I, I, I want to say is about that is, so I teach a lot of poets right now at the university who are 18, 19, 20, um, even mid-20s. And the way that we approach revisions is largely about things differently, not better quotes because so much of poetry right is subjective and so if we try things differently we can let a poem discover the best version of itself you know like let the poem decide what it wants to be or we can kind of work on our own unique voice just by trying things differently but I think when other people come in and they're like hey this poem would be better if you did x y and z I don't know that I that I subscribe to that anymore. I really like the idea of just trying things differently until the poet and the poem figure out where they want to go. Yeah, I love that idea. I love that. And that's that's sometimes the biggest challenge that you can get a teacher that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like back to pottery. I had a teacher that I was doing my pots a very specific way because I went to school for it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this isn't really working. And I'm like, I wanted to have the rims unglazed and then mm-hmm. like, primary colors. Cause I didn't really understand color, but that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I stopped doing it. Cause the teacher was like, this isn't, I don't, I don't like this. This doesn't work. And when I was visiting um, Asheville a couple of years ago, there's this pottery place called East Fork, Fork pottery that my friend yeah. is in charge of the kiln. And they do like $70,000 kiln loads. Wow. What, what does their pottery look like? Unglazed rims with <laughs> colors. Yep. I mean, I almost, I, I shrieked out loud. I was like, this was my idea 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I was doing this. So it's like, that to me is like, always remember, like if your intuition is telling you that this, something's working for you yeah. or the poem is saying this works, like put it out there and maybe you won't, might not like it in 10 years later. So then fix it in your selected poems or your Right. I mean, like (laughs) rework it and re re um, publish it or whatever. So, right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, it's all, it's all a journey. I think it's great. So we've been talking for a while and I have 40 million other questions I want to want to ask, but let's hear some of your writing. Let's wrap this up. And because I try to keep it around 40 minutes um, and let's, let's hear some of your work. Awesome. Thank you for, I could, I could talk to you all night. This has been really exciting to connect with you as like a, a poet, a ceramist, like, uh, so thank you. Um, thank you. Okay. Some poems. So I think I'm going to start with a poem from gathering broken light, uh, out with unsolicited press. And I do like to mention that all of my royalties for this book go to the Vegas Strong Resiliency Center um, to support folks who have been the most affected by gun violence. So I like to, I just sort of like to share that. Um, All right. So none of the poems in this book have titles. It's sort of like one long, one long poem, but there's also different sort of sections. There's an index of first lines in the back, but so I'll just read a couple of excerpts from Gathering Broken Light. The prickly pear flickers, 
silent in the late heat, with flame-like petals, snapshots of a moment, supergiant stars, as the sky has fallen and settles to the coral red floor of our still raw earth. Some things are meant to be seen, not touched, never heard. And so we wait, confronting pasts we cannot understand, futures that can only be wrongly predicted. Nopales wave us forward, gestures of kindness when least expected, juxtaposed against the mountains, torn against deep blue and those that came before. Even this desert was once an ocean. I'm I'm so in it. I'm, I'm like <laughs> thank you. Uh, and you have such a like you lulled me somewhere. <laughs> like I should not uh, operate heavy machinery right now. Like, I was like in it. Oh, your voice is just so like, woof. That was beautiful. Thank you. That means a lot. And you know, speaking of things, I might tell younger Heather. Like sometimes I would try to. Uh, match the the type of energy that like a spoken word poet or someone performing would and I I've, I've learned but it took a lot of like reading at different events to sort of learn like no lean into what feels right for you because if you're a poet who sort of brings people to you because you're more quiet or you know whatever like that's okay you should do like the best version of yourself and I'll never be the best version of myself and that's one of the things I love like that's a lifelong journey right but yeah. like um, your words mean a lot because it speaks to discovery that I had to make in a very, you know, difficult way. I was like, no, Heather, you're not sort of like a, a loud, extroverted poet, which I can love that too, but that's not you, Heather. Like you got to do you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. And you, you can do the best version of yourself right now, which you did. Oh, that means so. Thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. Thank you everyone for tuning into typewriter talks. Uh, this podcast is available weekly on Thursday mornings. And if you want to learn more about Keep St. Pete Lit, you can go to keepstpetelit.org. And if you like what you hear, please consider donating to us. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and your support will help continue this programming. So thank you all. Thank you, Heather. And thank you. We'll see you all next week.